Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're having a conversation based on emails and conversations and messages I've gotten from the community at Prenatal Yoga Center. A lot of people have been reaching out talking about a distrust in their body. Many times this comes from a long road of fertility issues and then they're finally pregnant, or maybe it's miscarriages, multiple miscarriages, and they're finally pregnant. So how do they trust that their body is going to go along with this process? There's fear that something they do can cause a problem with the pregnancy. And so I wanted to address this because this has been coming up quite a bit. So I reached out to Dr. Carly Snyder. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Carly Snyder, MD, is a reproductive and perinatal psychiatrist who melds traditional psychiatry with a holistic touch. Dr. Snyder received her medical degree from NYU School of Medicine and completed her general psychiatric residency at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Medical Center with additional reproductive psychiatry elective training at the Payne Whitney Women's Program and New York Presbyterian Wild Cornell Medical Center. She maintains a private practice on the Upper East Side of New York. And Dr. Snyder is a voluntary faculty member at NYU Presbyterian Wild Cornell and Mount Sinai Beth Israel Medical Centers. And Carly and I had a fantastic conversation. She had some wonderful insight. We talked about how to even recognize if there's anxiety and depression during pregnancy, what's normal, what are signs. And then we really went deep into the themes about how to start to trust your body and how to start to trust this pregnancy process and also how normal it is to have distrust if there have been some problems ahead of time and really how important it is to exercise and move without concern that you're going to do something. And she brought up such a good point. And I just want to reiterate this in the intro before we go deeper into it in the conversation, that there's nothing that you can do if you're working with a trained professional that knows how to work with the pregnant body and how important exercise is. It makes you feel better. It releases endorphins. And it was just so great to hear that because it can take that level of anxiety and stress away and really allow for one to participate in the process of pregnancy and hopefully even enjoy it. So I think you're very much going to enjoy this conversation with Carly. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that I have a free downloadable you can get from our website of five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. Why be in discomfort and pain when I have some simple yoga poses that can address them and alleviate them? So grab that from our website. You can grab it if you are on our Instagram handle, Prenatal Yoga Center. 
it's yours for the taking. Also, we have live prenatal yoga classes and replays seven days a week. So if you are enjoying yoga and you want to really enjoy and work with your body, check it out. Seven days a week, we got classes for you. We also have postnatal, we have baby and me, we got it all for you. And we are also going to complete 2021 with two online teacher trainings. We have one in September and October, and we have another in November and December. I don't know what we're going to do in 2022 about online trainings, but I know we're finishing out 2021 with them. So if you were thinking about teacher training and it was not really realistic for you to come to New York City for two long weekends, we got you covered. You can do it from home. Stay home, safe on the travel fair, enjoy the training from your own space. And then the last thing, I want to thank you for being a listener. It means a lot that you are part of our listenership community. I would ask if you have a moment and you haven't already, please jump to wherever you listen to this from and leave a rating and review. It helps people find us and it helps grow our community. Okay, that is enough of me. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Carly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Carly. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to speak with you because the questions and the topic we're going to go over is something I'm hearing students talk about. I'm getting people asking me about this online in Instagram. So I thought, all right, this is time to really dive into anxiety and depression during pregnancies, but specifically trusting one's body. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Oh, I'm so excited Deb, to be with you. I think this is such an important conversation that is too often overlooked. Yeah. And hence you end up with all these questions. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Wonderful. So before we dive into that, let, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and why you decided to focus on reproductive and perinatal psychiatry. So I will give you the short version of what is ultimately something of a long story, but um, I am mom of three, which I think, um, if nothing else, informs a lot of what I do. Um, I was mom of one when I started in my residency. I had mm-hmm. my oldest, who's now 13 and a half. Um, but before, when I was in med school, I had planned to go into surgery, um, into plastics, and then I had my son and there were, you know, various things that had happened. And I was like, okay, you know, surgery is not my calling. Um, and I decided on psychiatry. The point though of that is that I was not someone in medical school who was really gung-ho psychiatry. I didn't do a lot of rotations and what have you. So then I walked into my psychiatry residency and I was a little bit of a fish out of water, to say the least. Um, you know, if there was a code called, I was like the first one there because I knew what to do from surgical training. I did not know much about psychiatry at all. And it was inpatient psychiatry really threw me for a loop. Um, I really 
didn't feel like I could make much change. I didn't feel like I was, um, you know, they're really chronically ill patients in general, not all, right? And I was struggling. And I, we have a six-month medicine rotation, and I did pediatrics for part of mine. And there was this little baby who came in. He was so beautiful, this little guy. And my son at the time was a year old. And, you know, mom was beautiful. Dad, like it was a perfect little family, except that the baby had started seizing from the point in which he was born. And he was there, I think it was about three months old, just for monitoring. But they knew he was dying. There was like no question. And every there was nothing that anyone could do for the baby, right? But I noticed that no one was asking mom how she was. And that really bothered me. So I sat down with her and I, you know, and I checked in with her and I talked to her and I let, more importantly, I let her talk. And to this day, I don't know what the impetus was, but I decided to find a grief counselor for her, um, even before the baby died, but just, you know, as a way to kind of help her go through this process. And I saw the neurologist a couple months later who told me that they had implemented a new system where every mom in a similar situation was going to be connected with a grief counselor because it was so helpful for this one mom. And the fact that I made this difference for this woman really, really struck home for me. And from that point, I was very lucky. One of my senior residents said to me, well, if you like moms, you should really talk to my wife. It's what she does. And it turns out, so she was a, you know, she is a perinatal psychiatrist. Um, at the time, she was at Cornell. And I talked to her, and I was totally intrigued uh, because, you know, reproductive and perinatal psychiatry really meld so many different things. And I find it fascinating. I also love that I really, really can make changes for a woman. Like, I can help her get to a place she wants to be, and she can enjoy motherhood. And there are so many things that, you know, avenues that open up when you're feeling good and women really do get better, which is just so rewarding. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing a, a, you know, an elective at Cornell and I never left. I'm I'm attending there now. Um, And it was really something where it saved my career because I don't know that I would have stayed in psychiatry at all had I not found this little tiny niche that really melds so many things. It's also, there's a fair amount of medicine that we do, which I like. Um, but also just the emotional aspects. I just find it really fascinating and rewarding. And I feel like it's, it's an overlooked niche of, of people that oftentimes, and we'll talk more prenatally, but it, just kind of reflecting on postnatally that a lot of times babies born and the focus goes to, Oh, the baby, the baby. And like you said, no one, no one talks to the mother, not nobody, but it, the mother tends to be a little bit put to the side while during pregnancy it was all about, Oh, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. And then baby's born and the focus can shift so dramatically at that, that new parent. It's a whole identity shift. There's just so much oh, change. The identity shift that happens with motherhood is something you cannot prepare for until it happens. Yeah. And I say to my pregnant patients all the time that they need to remember that they are women before they are mothers, right? Mm-hmm. We, we were all women. We are. We all have interests and things that we enjoy doing and things that we're good at and skilled at and what have you. And it's so imperative that we not lose that. Yeah. 
because then most of us feel like we're waffling and we don't know which way to turn, especially if you're a new mom, because you don't know what you're doing anyway with the new baby. And now you've kind of put all your interests aside. And it's just so important that we hold on to ourselves as we add in motherhood, which is obviously an amazing joy, but you know, it also, it's a change. Yeah. Oh, maybe we'll do, maybe, maybe I can rope you into another podcast about that identity shift because that's an important one. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm happy to do. Good, good, good. Okay. Got it on tape. We're going to do another. All right. So I'm going to pull us back to the idea of anxiety and depression because as, as we're talking, a lot of people think about the postpartum, but how common is the anxiety and depression amongst pregnant people? You know, our numbers are, frankly, I think, incredibly off, right? So the numbers are roughly 10%, but I think that is a huge underrepresentation of what we, what women are actually experiencing because there is a cultural image of pregnancy that includes, you know, butterflies floating around your head <laughs> and walking with a unicorn next to you. And this like, <laughs> right. It really is. And it's also this level of like, you should be happy. Mm-hmm. Why are you not happy? Look what you have. Right. So women so often fail to report that they're feeling anxious and they're feeling depressed because it feels like a failure. Right. If, if I'm not happy now, what does that mean for the future? And in truth, it means that you are experiencing mood symptoms like so many other women, and it means nothing about you as a mother. It means nothing about how you will feel as a mother. It means that you're struggling now and you deserve to feel better. Um, women who have a history of anxiety or depression are obviously at a much higher risk for experiencing symptoms during pregnancy, especially when they stop their medication. Um, but, you know, even the women who remain on their medication, if they are not, um, seen by someone who knows what they're doing necessarily, right? Sometimes people get really bad advice. They're told to lower their dose or to keep it the same. When pregnancy, the physiology of pregnancy is such that often women will need a higher dose of medicine and that's okay because blood volume has gone up by almost, you know, almost doubles and metabolism changes. And so all of these things lead to a decrease in the efficacy of medication at the same dose. So women feel sick and they're like, what's going on? And the truth is it's understandable when you think about it from a physiologic standpoint for those women. It's funny. I often talk in our teacher training about the blood volume going 40 to 60% more and how it can dilute um, the blood, the iron level. And then as soon Mm -hmm. as you were talking about the medication and my head popped, oh, I wonder if it gets diluted because the blood volume. And then you said that I'm like, it never occurred to me that that can happen. It's yeah, and it's one of those things, and it it happens to come at like this really um, pivotal time hormonally. Yeah. So you know, anywhere twenty four to thirty two weeks plus minus, hormones are just going all over the place. Yeah, that estrogen's a thousandfold. I mean, yeah. talk about mood changes. Exactly. So now you you've it's like a perfect storm. Plus, you're about to have a baby, and that unto itself is stressful, right? It's still scary, whether it's your first child or your tenth. It, you know your life is about to change profoundly, and that causes understandable fear. 
So knowing that there is just some normal anxiety because of the massive changes, when does someone need, what are some signs that someone's needing help? Or is there, are there specific signs of anxiety and depression that maybe the pregnant person or the family can look out for? So absolutely. It's such a great question. Um, first and foremost, I think as an overarching rule, if your mood is negatively impacting your ability to function on a daily basis, meaning, you know, you are, for example, you're feeling so down and you just want to be in bed all the time. So you're not engaging with, you know, friends or family. You're not, you know, excelling at work as you otherwise would. Um, perhaps you're not spending as much time with another child because you just don't have the energy or the desire. And if you're not finding joy within things that you usually find joy in, those are all reasons that you should seek out help. Even if, you know, you are sleeping well and you're eating well and, you know, there are all these classic depression and anxiety symptoms like poor sleep and, you know, change in appetite. Maybe you don't have all those, but if you're not functioning, then you need to um, seek out help because you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. As I said earlier, it really works. Like treatment works. It's really wonderful that we have all these various resources and they really do make life easier. Yeah. But you know, in general, I think if your anxiety is such that you are more worried than anything else, where you can't appreciate those exciting moments in a pregnancy because you're so scared of the what if scenarios, then that's a sign. Another, you know, if you're having what's called intrusive thoughts that where they're repetitive thoughts that you really can't extinguish. And oftentimes they can be really scary. They can be um, very, what we call ego dystonic, meaning that they make you feel even more anxious. They make you feel like this is not who I'm meant to be. This is not who I am, but why am I thinking this way? These are all reasons to reach out for help. And that's good. So now people, hopefully they can also share this with partners if they are partnered. So I want to really start to lean into the idea of trust and anxiety. So some of the things I've been hearing in class and people have been emailing me about is learning to trust one's body and especially after having difficult conceiving or multiple miscarriages. What are some ways that pregnant people can start to trust the pregnancy process when it's been a long road to get there? So I think part of this is actually accepting that if it's been difficult to conceive or you've miscarried multiple times, it's okay to be scared. And it is understandable to not just feel fear about your pregnancy, but sometimes it really extends into other parts of your life as well. Because when we're little girls, right, those of us who wanted to have children from a young age, we played, you know, family, right? You stuck a pillow under your shirt, you pulled it out, there was the baby doll, bam, done, right? And when it doesn't go as planned, now most of us inherently question what's going on. And that causes fear and anxiety and stress. And if you try to, you know, kind of quell all of that anxiety and say, no, 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 I'm fine. Well, that's not realistic or reasonable. It's incredibly understandable to be, to be stressed in those scenarios. Um, 
I always, I always tell people about, I, I lost twins between my second and my third children. And what I was really struck by at the time and what helped me um, understand some of what my patients experienced was that I became incredibly anxious about my children's safety. I was, you know, something bad happened to me. I lost this pregnancy I really desired. And then it became this question of, well, if this bad thing could happen, what else can happen, right? I felt like the rug had been pulled out from under me and I didn't have the safety net anymore. So my anxiety extended not just from my body, but also to my kid's safety. And once I did get pregnant again with my now, she just turned six, I was totally, I was very nervous. You know, everything that, every feeling in pregnancy was a little scary until the point in which I kind of began to trust that my body was on my side. And that took some time, you know, that took well into my second trimester. And it isn't unreasonable to be in that place of just being like, I don't know if I can connect yet because I'm scared of losing this thing that I want so badly. That's okay. You know, I mean, obviously, ideally, one's anxiety is under enough control that they can enjoy other aspects of pregnancy. But it is so painful to lose a wanted pregnancy that it's very understandable for a woman to feel, you know, profound fear in the subsequent one. Um, and especially if you've, you know, never been gotten to this point in pregnancy before, or even if you have, our bodies do some crazy things in pregnancy, right? There are little weird pulls and twitches and the pain, like discomforts where if you don't have a reason to be worried about this, you know, health of a pregnancy, it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. But if you do base either on, you know, it being a, um, medically complicated pregnancy or one following miscarriage or struggling to conceive to begin with, all of these things, all the little pulls and the, you know, cramps and this and that, they become really overwhelming. And it takes time to reconnect with your body and realize that it's, you know, the good and the bad are all happening, right? Like your body is supporting you and your pregnancy. And if there was a loss there, it was nothing you did wrong. It's nothing you did right. It's, it was out of your control, but that doesn't mean that you can't now enjoy what is happening. It doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, cause another thing I'm hearing from students is, again, it often comes from Maybe again, a long road to get there. This one usually comes more from people that have tried and tried and tried, and then they, they're finally pregnant. And there's a lot of fear that they're going to do something to cause a miscarriage of some sort. And they're afraid of yoga or exercise and they want to come to class. They know it's good for them. Um, but they're really afraid of how to move. How would you help somebody? trust, again, I guess it's coming back to the trust in the process and trust in their body so they can enjoy the experience. Because if you're constantly still physically, it becomes more painful physically. Oh, God, yes. 
So I think there are a few layers to this because if someone goes through a fertility process, right? So IVF or, you know, if they, or IUI or what have you, oftentimes fertility doctors will suggest decreasing exercise in the short term Mm -hmm. following, for example, a transfer. But then it becomes, well, when does that end, right? And that, you know, assuming that everything is going well, exercise is incredibly beneficial, right? It's good for our mind. It's good for our body. And the thing to remember consistently is our bodies are made to have a successful pregnancy, assuming that the pregnancy unto itself is a healthy one. So we are not, frankly, we don't have so much control over things, unfortunately, meaning that it's not like you can do something wrong and that have a negative outcome. Our bodies will supersede it, right? Their exercise is so beneficial, right? There's no move you're going to do that is going to lead to a miscarriage if it's you have a healthy pregnancy. And if it's not a healthy pregnancy, it's not something you did wrong. It's just something that happens. And, um, you know, more than anything, you have to remember that your body and you are, you're one and the same, right? And if you feel good doing yoga, if you feel good exercising, well, then you go do it. Um, and enjoy the time that you're connecting with your body because it's so important for you now and in the future. Yeah, I, I try again. I try to stay within my lane because I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a doula, but, and I try to remind people that the yoga that we do, it is meant for pregnancy, but people get very concerned. And I hear that. I remember having a miscarriage to my two kids and I know this stuff. Like I know I did nothing wrong, but I still thought, did I do something wrong? Like, even mm-hmm. though, you know, like there's that well, moment, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, there's also the part that there's this, if one were able to identify something that they did wrong, right, that led to a miscarriage, well, that would mean that you could just not do it the next time. And then, right, you, your pregnancy would be okay. And unfortunately, again, we don't, that's not how it works, yeah. right? There's a drive to find a reason yeah. and then to remedy that. But when it comes to pregnancy, you know, there's, we don't have as much control over things. Um, but as long as you are working with someone who knows how to do prenatal yoga, right? Who knows how to work with a pregnant woman in various forms of exercise, then you're good. Right. I, I'm just, I'm so glad because I think there are so many people that want to do this, but they're afraid to take that step. So I'm hoping that those that are in that boat can take that step and trust that their bodies are really smart and that if something happens, they didn't cause it. Cause that, that's another thing that comes up that guilt of. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to the control theme. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about control of birth and control of pregnancy. That is a theme I hear a lot about. We'll be right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Oh, this is a theme that comes up in class a lot. And I say that I have empathy as a type A control lover myself. I get this. So this comes up a lot in class, especially when it comes to birth. What are some strategies for people to approach their birth with openness and try to loosen their grip of control? I had, I've had students say like, how can I get my cervix to dilate faster? And I'm like, you can't. Um, we can, I'm like, I can help you. You know, I'll do the best I can to align in your body. So it might be more functional, but you know, there's just this desire for control. And I, again, I say this with a lot of love around that. So what are some strategies to help with that? So I too, am very type A. And so I get it right. There's, this is something that one wants so badly. So it's like, well, I want to make this as perfect as possible because I want the perfect outcome. And I, really, really strongly encourage people to connect with their providers, to work closely and feel comfortable with their OBGYN, with their doula, with their midwife, such that you can put your faith in that person, knowing that they, their goal is the same as yours, right? Everybody wants a healthy baby and a healthy mom. And with that in mind, you know, feeling comfortable and safe hearing your provider when they say, for example, oh, you can take a walk around and maybe that could speed things up. Or maybe they say, you know what, you got to stay in bed right now. Or if, you know, they say you need a a C-section, right? That doesn't mean you did something wrong. It doesn't mean that they are, you know, trying to take away control from you. It's instead, it's about the baby's safety and yours. And I think too often people don't feel that comfortable speaking to their doctor in advance. And I think it's important that you do so, so that you understand where they're coming from and they understand where you're coming from. And it's a partnership rather than it being at all adversarial. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I like that idea. And that actually brings me to my next question about talking to the care provider. So back in my doula days, I asked my clients to think about their fears or concerns if they had any about their upcoming birth. And again, it's not my place to resolve their issues, but it could actually help bring to light some of the anxieties and fears that can hold up labor. So how would you suggest a pregnant person talks to their care provider about their depression or anxiety or distrust so that should these things arise, they're working as a team to help move this labor along and be supportive? So another great question. I, I think it's actually imperative that you start early in the pregnancy and often. And meaning if you are worried that maybe you're going to be experiencing depressive or anxiety-based symptoms, tell your provider early so that they can check on you throughout your pregnancy if you have a history of, you know, anxiety disorder or depressive disorder, tell your provider 
tell them what medications you're on or what form of treatment you're in so that they can check in on you and make sure that you're doing well. Because sometimes, unfortunately, in the throes of things, it can become more difficult to tell, for example, the OB about how you're feeling because, you know, they're checking in on all the pregnancy things. And if they don't ask, it can be hard to bring it up. But it's so imperative because they can be your first line of defense. They can send you to a specialist if you need. They can refer you to a therapist, a psychiatrist, what have you. And then you have a team of people working all to ensure that you have the best outcome and that you feel your best and that your baby does as well as possible. So I think it's just, you know, remembering that who you choose to work with is someone who wants to help you and seeing them as your ally. And if you don't feel that way, you know, first saying, well, why, why don't I feel this way? And then talking to that person or if needed switching to someone who you feel more comfortable with. Yes. Um, because it's all about you and your baby and that's what matters. Oh, I love, I love, love, love that because if you're speaking to them early and they're paying attention and listening and being empathetic and thinking about how might this affect the birth, that's, that's a good sign. But if they're kind of brushing it aside, that could be a red flag. I remember Uh working with an OB and it was a, uh, my client, um, had had some trauma and the OB was aware of this and she was so incredibly mindful about how, who was in the room, how she talked to her when she even did internal exams, really talked through everything, asked permission, which they should always, but like Mm -hmm. was super aware of the psychological place that if she was, abrasive or aggressive, that my client, the one birthing, would have kind of closed up. So having Mm -hmm. that understanding of one's mindset ahead of time really can shape how the birth unfolds. And I guess, like you said, talk early. Like these should not come up like at week 39. Right. And I've similarly had experiences where I've had patients who have various traumas or they have very severe anxiety or, you know, they're, they're, kind of overarching feeling is one of fear. And there have been obese who have just been, have made everything better mm-hmm. rather than it being the other way around. They've really made it easier and they've kept the lights low, for example, mm-hmm. in the room during, right. They've, as you said, you know, limited the number of people coming in and out, limited the number of exams and been advocates and allies with the woman rather than it being something where the woman is at all feeling alone in the process. Yes. So talk early, start that communication, the birth team. Oh, this has so many themes are going on. The birth team. It's so important. (laughs) All right. So we're going to slide a bit into postpartum. And I'm wondering if someone has had challenging time trusting the pregnancy process and the birth process, how this may show up postpartum. I don't know if they get concerned about how they're going to care for their baby or if they're having enough milk supply, if they choose to breastfeed, how would someone prepare for this and start to build their confidence? So there's this, I, I I don't know whether it's um, somewhat wishful thinking, if it's also just a misunderstanding. There are a lot of women who are, who feel sick in pregnancy emotionally, you know, in terms of depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, and they think, well, as soon as I have the baby, I'll just feel better. Mm-hmm. 
And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Um, I think in my career, I can think of literally one woman who, you know, felt better with delivery. But that's not the norm. That's the exception to the rule. So when we think about postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, in terms of risk factors, the number one risk is having been experiencing symptoms during pregnancy. So what that means is that in the postpartum, look, we all know, right? I think you don't have to have a baby to realize that having a newborn is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sleep deprivation can be incredibly difficult, right? So one thing that I recommend all of my patients do, um, but especially those who are um, more nervous about the postpartum period, who are feeling, you know, uncertain about themselves or, you know, how it's going to look is that you make a plan in advance, a very concrete plan. So get a Google calendar and whether it be your partner or your mother or your sister or whomever it is who's going to be with you, plan on setting up, you know, for example, in, in the, during the night, you can breast, be exclusively breastfeeding, but that person can alternate with you getting the baby and changing the baby and bringing you the baby, and then you can breastfeed, and then if you're choosing to do so, and then give that person the baby so you can go back to sleep. And that gives you a good hour more of sleep in that feeding schedule. Mm -hmm. And then the next time you can get the baby and you trade off and you set it up in advance because once the baby's born, as moms, we take over, right? We say, oh, no, 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 don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll get the baby. Don't worry. But the problem is that over time, and it's not much time, that really kills sleep and Sleep deprivation, we've used sleep deprivation in Guantanamo as a form of torture for a reason, because it's torture. Mm -hmm. And no one feels themselves, no one feels happy in the setting of profound, profound exhaustion. So making a plan early and sticking with it is important. Having someone with you you can trust is important. And remembering you don't have to do it alone, that it is not all on you to do every feeding, to do every everything. It's important that you give other people the opportunity also so they can bond with the baby as well um, and let you sleep more. It's a win-win. I like the idea of the plan, of having that plan and making sure you're getting sleep really um, fine and that sleep hygiene. Have you worked with people that just are so concerned that they don't know how to care for their newborn baby? Yes, I, I think it's rare to find a mother who, with her first child, doesn't feel that way. Oh my gosh, we, I remember my husband and I were like, let's just wait. We couldn't wait for the postpartum doula to arrive. We're like, we well, need someone to teach what, us. That's the thing. And that's why, you know, it's a steep learning curve. Yes. But it's also one that, yes, if you don't have anyone helping, you'll figure it out, right? You'll figure your baby out and they'll figure you out. But if you can, have a postpartum doula come and help you, or, you know, if you want to have a baby nurse or, or your mother or your grandmother or your mother-in-law or whomever who has done this before come in and help you, that's invaluable. That kind of giving up of control and saying, please teach me, that will, you know, pay itself back in, in spades um, because you're not meant to know everything. We don't inherently know until we've done it. 
And in medicine, we say, um, see one, teach one, do one, mm-hmm. or see one, do one, teach one, excuse me. But it's the same idea, right? You want to see it, then you can try, and then you can teach. But if you've never seen it before, it's going to be pretty foreign to you. So if you can get help, that is the best. And if not, we do have the blessing of the internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can look up things online. And remember, you will, again, you're going to learn about your baby and they're going to learn about you in the most intimate way during this, you know, fourth trimester, the time where you really have an infant and you are getting to know one another. You're getting to know their cries and which cry means that the baby's wet, which cry means the baby's hungry or tired. As the parent, you're going to learn that. And it takes a little time, and that's okay. You don't need to know right away. Most of us, you know, will go through, oh, you know, I'm going to change the diaper anyway. I'm going to, when was the last time the baby ate and what have you, Be until you really kind of get to recognize their patterns and they get to recognize yours. Do you have any words of wisdom about learning to trust that you're even going to do that? Because I've seen through the years, a lot of anxiety around the, the baby's crying and they, and people immediately pick the baby up or immediately change. Like I remember this happens pretty often. One of the habits is changing the diaper over and over and over mm-hmm. and over or constantly washing their hands. And anytime the baby touches anything, um, washing everything. So, and I've seen this, not just with like a couple, I've seen this probably a thousand, literally I've worked with 20,000 women. So maybe like five to 800 times, like there's a lot of going and changing the diaper and picking the baby up. And I get that there's a lack of trust. How does someone build that trust that the baby's okay? Or is that just time? (laughs) I think part of it is time. Part of it is trusting yourself to know that you are doing your best. And that's what your baby needs. So, you know, if the baby cries for a few minutes, that's okay. Nothing is going to happen if your baby cries for a few minutes. Truly. And nothing's going to happen if they have a wet diaper for a little while. Worst case, they'll get a diaper rash and then you're going to put desodin on it and they'll be okay. Right. If the baby's hungry and you know, you don't can't feed them that moment, they'll be okay. Babies are obviously incredibly, you know, they're needy. They can't do anything right. They're so fragile, but they're also resilient. Mm -hmm. And so are we. So, I think it's important to also remember every day is a new opportunity. So if yesterday was super hard, that doesn't mean today has to be. You learn from those experiences that were not easy and you make changes so that the next time it's a little easier and it's a little easier the time after that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I'm not thinking about this as much because I'm just doing it. And that's a pretty exciting moment where you realize that, you're not having to think it all through because it's actually becoming more of an innate process. Yeah. And that will happen for everybody. It's just a question of time. Time. Okay. One more question here before we take Mm. another break. What are some different tools and support someone can use to help their anxiety depression? So one you just said about trusting that time is going to teach us. Are there other, are there other tools if someone's in the midst of like the, the freak out of, I don't know what I'm doing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's important to be open and honest with those around you about how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Talk about it. Don't internalize it and assume that it is in any way um, something to feel ashamed about because it is not. There's no shame in feeling anxious or depressed or anything. 
during pregnancy or postpartum. And if it's such that you have found that your symptoms are taking away from the joy of new motherhood, right, where you're so nervous that you can't enjoy any of it, that's a time to reach out for professional help because you deserve to enjoy motherhood. That doesn't mean it will always be easy, but it means that in the moments where it should be, you know, that, that feeling where you're holding your baby and they're sleeping on your chest and it's just like this calm, you deserve to feel that way. And if you can't, then there are people who can help get you to that point. Yeah. Not being afraid. I think sometimes there's a stigma about reaching out for help or medication. I know I had a friend that she really was anxious and she, uh, her husband and I finally had a conversation because I was both at my second and her first around the same time. And there was just such anxiety and she was not happy with anything. And so her husband and I talked and she'd been on medication. She finally decided because she realized that she was better off being on a medication, being a happier mom than off medication and a miserable, anxious mom. And- yes. 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 And remember that the vast, I mean, I would say I can't think of any commonly used antidepressant, anti-anxiety medicine, which is not compatible with breastfeeding. So people have the misconception that if they start medication, that means they have to stop breastfeeding. And for the absolute vast majority of medications, that is not true. So you don't have to choose one over the other. You don't have to choose to breastfeed over your mental health. You can actually have both. And that was her concern. She wasn't sure if she could breastfeed. Um, and I'm so glad because it was amazing to watch that transition of totally unmedicated to slowly starting her medication. And then when she was really balanced and it just, it was like a, a different person would walk in and I would see her and there was just, she like, like you said, the deserving that joy. Um, it was nice to see. So I guess taking the stigma off of medication and seeking help is really mm-hmm. important. It's, it's invaluable. And remember you are still you on medication. It just means that your neurotransmitters are now balanced. If we were talking about blood sugar, right? If we were talking about like diabetes, no one ever says, oh, you really, you should try and just like toughen through that, that diabetes. We don't say that because everybody realizes that's dangerous. Yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's so scary and so sad, but it's true that suicide is one of the, top causes of death in the first year postpartum. And because postpartum illness can be so severe. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that you appreciate that you deserve to feel good. And also that there are medications and there's therapy and all of these things that will truly help. And there's no shame, just as if there's no, you know, no shame with having any other any other illness. Mm-hmm. You just seek treatment and then you go from there. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, if you can offer one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer to new and expectant parents, and you can offer this as a psychiatrist, you can offer this as a mother of three, you've got a lot of knowledge. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Okay. So what would you like to throw out there? I think I'm going to reiterate what I said a few minutes ago, being that you deserve to enjoy motherhood and whatever it takes to get there is what you should do. If that means that you need to take time every day for yourself and take a walk by yourself, then you do that. 
if that means that you start in therapy, you do that. If that means that you, you know, post vaccination and what have you go out for um, a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with your friends, you do that. If it means being on medication and seeing a psychiatrist, you do that too. All of these things are important and exercise. So once you get past that six week mark, incredibly, incredibly important and helpful. Take time for yourself. Remember that, as I said, way in the beginning, that you were a woman before you were a mother Mm -hmm. and you don't lose that. And you don't lose yourself by virtue of having a baby. You just gain something, right? You just gain more and your life becomes more full and more beautiful, but you don't lose the things that you had from before. And at least you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And everyone deserves the opportunity to enjoy motherhood, to truly enjoy their children. And if you don't feel like you're in that place, then look for ways and reach out for help so that you can be in that place. Yeah, that's so important. I feel like so many times people feel like they have to choose between I was, you know, I did this before I had a child or this before and that we can still, now things might take a while to get back Mm -hmm. exactly, but, but we still can find some essence or sliver of that. Where can people find your work? So the easiest place would be from my website. You can link from my website to um, I've written a fair amount and it's on, I have a HuffPost blog and on Medium and all this, but my website, which is my name being carlysnydermd.com, everything is centralized there. So you can go there and I have a radio show every Wednesday and you can link to it through my website as well. Wonderful. And all that will be in the show notes. I want to thank you so much. This is such an important topic about trusting oneself and trusting the process prenatally and postpartumly. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. Right, take care. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.